We're going to be in Paul's letter to the Philippians this hour. My passage is going to be in chapter 2, but we'll start reading in verse 27 of chapter 1. Verse 27, chapter 1, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is it in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Passage was going to be verses 14 through 16, and you may think that I'm going to focus on the grumbling or disputing, but I'm not. I'm going to focus on shining as lights in the world. And that's the title of the message, Shining as Lights in the World. Let me just say a few things about the passage first. The reason I started in verse 27, and Jenny did not know I was going to be here in this passage. It's interesting, the song talked about some things that are in this passage, songs. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You get out your lexicons, and it's interesting what they say about that word that gets translated as five words in English. Let your manner of life. It has to do with living as citizens. We're all citizens of somewhere, in an earthly sense. You might be citizens of San Antonio, Helotes, name your place. But we're also, as brethren, we are citizens of one place, heaven. And Paul wants us here to live 
as citizens of heaven, even though we're not there yet. But we are, aren't we, in one sense. Ephesians 2, we're already seated with Him in the heavenly places because we've been saved by grace. So even as we, we live here in this age, in this city, in this time, we also at the same time, we have citizenship elsewhere, in another place, another realm, in heaven. And what are things like in heaven? Is there any sin in heaven? No. There's no sin, there's no rebellion, there's no hatred. Like Jonathan Edwards writes, heaven is a world of love. And that's why I started at verse 27, because that's going to play into shining as lights in the world. Paul says later in chapter 3, verse 20, he tells the Philippians, your citizenship is in heaven. So we have dual citizenship. We have an earthly citizenship, and we have a heavenly citizenship. And wherever there's a conflict, the heavenly citizenship has to take precedence. Because the heavenly citizenship is where God is. And everything is, is as it should be where God is. Things are not as they should be here yet, but they will be one day. And then going down farther here, you see that Paul, Paul tells something to the Philippians here in verse 28. He says, don't be frightened. Now, why would he say don't be frightened? We know that Paul's writing from incarceration, whatever prison looked like there then. But he tells the Philippians, don't be frightened by anything in your opponents. So clearly there's something that could cause them fear. And he, he when he gets back to them at some point, because in verse 27 he has said, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, absent, he wants to hear, if he can't see, he wants to hear that they're standing firm in one spirit, and verse 28, that they're not frightened by anything in their opponents. That's what leads into verse 29 and the statement about there being two gifts there, faith and suffering for His sake. Then we get into chapter 2, the first few verses there about the Philippian humility that should be going on. Doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, counting others more significant than ourselves. Not looking to our own interests, but to the interests of others. There's that transition then in verse 5. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Then we have him talking about the humility of Christ. Humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because he humbled himself, what was the result of that? God has highly exalted him. We sing that song. Highly exalted. Not just merely exaltation, but a high exaltation because of what Jesus has done. And then he brings in an Old Testament reference here that yes, every knee, every knee is going to bow one day and every tongue is going to confess who Jesus Christ is. It's just a matter of whether that knee is going to bow on the way to eternal reward or eternal punishment. So that humility of Christ then leads into the working out our salvation with fear and trembling passage. That then leads into Paul's charge, a command, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? But there's a, so there's a reason, there's a motivation here. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? So that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. If you know what Moses said 
in his farewell speech to Israel in Deuteronomy 32, he takes what he says to and about Israel and flips it upside down because he calls Israel out, that generation that's going to perish in the wilderness, he calls them out for not being blameless and innocent, not being without blemish, and he calls them the crooked and twisted generation. Deuteronomy 32.5 Paul's telling the true spiritual Israel, don't be like them. Don't be like them. You are to be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation, shine as lights. We'll talk about what he means here. But then Paul wants to have this, this joy on the day of Christ that Paul did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, I, I think we have to be careful. Well, is there a chance that Paul's going to be sad on the day of Christ? No. No, he's not. But he wants to be able to, to join in with the Philippians. Seeing that, they made it to the end. That Paul, in his efforts to help this church that we see started in Acts chapter 16 with the conversion of Lydia and the jailer, that he did not run in vain or labor in vain. So my point is, I'm going to go to verse 15 primarily and, and all the implications of verse 15. Shining as lights in the world. He wrote that to the Philippian church. He did not write it to the elders. He did not write it to the deacons. He didn't write it to the super holy ones. He wrote it to the church. Everybody. The charge here in verse 15 is to everybody. Shine His lights in the world. Everybody in the Philippian church was to be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. But we, I, I want to talk for a minute about, about this where we're going to do this. He says, shine His lights in the world. What is our world? That, that, that word gets translated as world and means a bunch of different things in our Bible. But what is the world? It's, it's that out there, this fallen realm in which we live. And that realm in which we live out there is represented in, Bible, in the Bible by a couple of metaphors. It's represented by light and darkness. So I want to address this issue of light and darkness because if we're going to do what this passage says, we're really going to be imitating Christ in how we live. And when we talk about light, I think we have to talk about Jesus because Jesus is the light of the world. We know that God is light. But let's talk about realms here. Let's talk about the realm of light and the realm of darkness. We know that Jesus came to bring light. We know that the, that the Scripture says Jesus is the light of the world. You notice Scripture doesn't say Jesus was the light of the world. He still is the light of the world. But what does light represent? Light represents all that is true and holy and good and godly and righteous and perfect and sinless. We know that God dwells right now in light unapproachable. We know that in the age to come, that won't be the case. God will reveal Himself and dwell in His fullness of the light that He is, that He, that he the radiance of God, 
that which we will see there in Revelation 21, where we don't need the sun for light anymore. That's where we get that light out there right now. He will be our light. And that light does not set at dusk. God being our light, God being our truth, we will see Him in the fullness of what true sinlessness looks like. Because we will also be sinless. Our light will be different than it is now. But more so, I want to talk about the light from God, or the light who... God is light, as, as, as Scripture says. There's this, this realm that people don't live in if they're not Christians. They don't live in the light. They don't live in a realm of truth. They don't live in a realm where they obey God. You think of all these people in, in, that got the roads blocked off today for the marathon. All these people, they're running a race. Where's it going? There's a finish line. Okay. But where's it going? <laughs> it really ends up going nowhere. What happens when you finish the race? Whatever they give you when you finish the race. I don't know. They give, you know, do they give you a medal? I don't know. They give you, do they give you a medal even if you participate and don't finish the race? I don't know. But you've got all these people out there running this race. And whether it's the race of the rock and roll marathon or they're running this race of life, and they don't live it in the light because they don't have Jesus. They think they're okay. They think they're okay because they've got a car out there, a truck. They can hit the button or put the key in. It starts, it goes. They've got food in the refrigerator. they got what they want. They've got their health. Now they've accomplished something. They've ran 26 miles and 385 yards. They've, con they've completed the marathon. But they're in darkness. They're not in the light. But why are they, why are they not in the light? Because they have not believed in the One who is the light of the world. Our Bible tells us in John chapter 3 that if you're not a child of God by adoption, through faith, you live in the darkness. That's dark out there. Now I know that when we go outside, my glasses are going to turn dark because there's light out there. But that's a different light. There's a realm of darkness in which everybody lives who's not a Christian. John 3, verse 19 tells us that lost people not only live there, but they live there because they love it. And they love it because their deeds are evil. They love their evil. That's what Scripture says about lost people. That's what your Bible says about your lost mom and your lost sister, your lost grandparent, your lost co-worker. Our Bible says they live in the darkness because they love it. That's where they want to live. Because their deeds are evil. Do we really believe that? When, when, you go, when you go to your family's house for Thanksgiving or whenever, and your family is lost, do you really believe it's dark there? Don't limit darkness to third world countries. It's dark here. It's dark right out there on that sidewalk. It's dark right over there. 
biblically dark. And dark means dark. It doesn't mean, well, it's just a little dim. The contrast in the Bible is really meant to be, there's an absolute contrast between its thing is that the two realms are either absolutely pitch black dark or brilliantly white. Christians have been transferred from darkness over here into another domain, another kingdom where there's a ruler, the ruler of this world, 2 Corinthians 4. But we don't live over here anymore in the pitch black. We live over here in the light. Jesus came to be the light of the world. Jesus now charges us through Scripture here, we are now lights in the world. Every one of us. How many here? I don't know, 250 lights? They're now going to go out and spread through San Antonio. Wherever you go, you're to be light. You say, how, how can I be light? Don't limit being light to passing out tracks. That may be part of it, but being light is how you live. Shining as lights in the world. The world includes your home. The world includes your workplace. The world includes your neighborhood. The world here is wherever you are because this entire planet is dark. It lives in the darkness. And how are you going to shine as a light in this darkness? You know that when you try and shine, whether you live or speak truth, sometimes people object. And you go, well, why are they objecting so much? But you've got to think about the way that the realms are. Think about True darkness. Now, in San Antonio, you never have it truly dark at night. You just don't. There's all this ambient light. You can never have, even if you go out in the country, it's not truly dark out there even if it's overcast. You want true darkness if you've never been down in a deep cave, go into a deep cave. I mean, 30-some years ago, my wife and I went to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. You go a long ways down into that mountain in Kentucky and you get down to the bottom and what they do is they turn the lights off. They probably, that's probably the thing they do in all these cave expeditions. They turn the lights off. When you get down to the bottom of the cave, they turn that light off and it is dark. Now, you know in your house, you turn the lights off and it's, oh, you think it's pitch black. Well, in a few seconds, your lights, your eyes start to adjust and you can see shadowy things. There's none of that at the bottom of Mammoth Cave. You can't see this no matter how long you wait until they turn the lights back on. But think about that's the way this world is out there. It's pitch black. And at times, the way the world responds to our bringing them truth, whether it's verbally or just by the way we live, not doing the same foolish things they do, this is how they're going to respond. You ever been in a room that's dark? And maybe you've been taking a nap. And then somebody thinks they're going to be funny and comes in there and wakes you up and has got a flashlight and shines it right in your eyes. And it hurts because it's so bright. And you go, turn it off, turn it off. But that's the way the world responds sometimes to us telling them truth. Or us just living truth. Turn it off! They don't want to hear it. They don't want to see it. 
You ever think about why that bothers them so much? It bothers them who live in the darkness so much because their conscience is telling them that what they're being told or what they're being seen lived out is right. Their conscience is now responding to this. Even though they live in the darkness, they still have a conscience that knows what's right and what's wrong. And they're in the darkness and you shine this light on them, whether it's a bright light or even just a a muted light, you're still invading a realm. Our military metaphors in Scripture matter to us. We're invading a realm. We're in a war. We're on enemy territory here right now. We're in this guerrilla warfare because our enemy doesn't play by any rules. He does not go by the standard of warfare. We, we, we have to understand just how evil Satan is and how evil the domain of darkness is. It is absolutely without good. We, we, don't, we don't grasp that because we see lost people still doing things which are, in essence, obeying God's law. Lost people... Not every lost person commits adultery. Not every lost person steals. Not every lost person dishonors their parents. But God is kind in restraining evil in people by His grace. So we have a hard time, I think, grasping what it means for people to really be in darkness and what that realm looks like. So when Paul says, shine as lights in the world, he's telling us, You are to go, wherever you go, whether it's home, work, wherever. Okay? Overseas, it doesn't matter. Wherever you are, shine. But I want to say, make sure you are living rightly as you try and shine. Because He wants us to be Blameless and innocent. You say, how can I be blameless and innocent? You know what? You obey God. (laughs) He's not telling you to be sinless, although that's our standard, isn't it? We don't get to say, well, just because I am not sinless in this life, it's okay for me to sin. No, it's not. But when people look at your life, do they see a person of integrity? They may not agree with you, but do they see a person of integrity? Do they see a person who keeps their word? Do they see a person who is walking the walk, as the saying goes? Because if we're out there passing out tracts, telling people at work or wherever in your family you need to be born again, is our life showing the fruit of regeneration? Because if it's not, we are being hypocritical. And your Bible and my Bible does not talk well about people who are hypocrites. We've talked about this before, that image of of way back when in the theater, the hypocrite is an actor. A hypocrite would be the person who would put on the mask of drama or the mask of comedy to to, to, to conceal what's really behind the mask. But Christians aren't to be people who live behind masks. We take the mask away, and who we show people is who we really are or who we are really supposed to be. Jesus didn't live behind a mask. Jesus was real. 
You want to be blameless and innocent? Live like Jesus. Love people. (laughs) Serve people. Don't do the things that you know you shouldn't do. The question is, do we love Jesus enough to obey Him? We, 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 celebrate, we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we, we remember His blood. Do we remember His blood enough to obey? Do we remember His blood enough to keep in mind 1 Corinthians 10.13? When temptation arises, there's always a way out, isn't there? Yes. Do we trust Him enough to by faith obey? Because at root, this is all about trust and belief, faith. Trusting Christ that what He says is true. Trusting Christ that that the Gospel that He has given us, Himself, His person, His work, what He has done to save sinners sent by His Father, it is sufficient to equip us to obey And do we remember this at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon when temptation comes? Because it's going to come. You can lock yourself up in a monastery like the monks have tried for a long time, but you can't keep temptation from coming. But you are equipped. You are equipped to overcome. Isn't that the message to those seven churches? Be overcomers. Be conquerors. Be like Jesus. Jesus came and obeyed the law. Jesus had every, you know, your Bible says everything that you're going through, Jesus went through. He's tempted in every way, but he lived his life without sin. He was light. Now He has charged us to be light just like He was. We go out, we spread out. We spread light through San Antonio. But the light is not going to shine if behind the veil of our lives, our lives are not what we say happens when a person gets saved. We go hand out tracts. You go talk to your family. Maybe the reason sometimes evangelism doesn't work is because we are hypocrites. There's some self-examination we have to do here. But we're supposed to live as citizens of heaven while we are citizens here. Are we? Is this generation crooked and twisted? You bet it is. But you know what? We were all there at one point, weren't we? Yes. (laughs) What happened? We know doctrinally God did something. But we know at the point of our belief, we believed. We turned from our sin and we turned to Christ. And because we have turned from our sin and turned to Christ, we have the same responsibility Paul gives to the Philippians here to live in a certain way. And one of the examples he does give us is do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
how often, look back, just think about this, look back a week and think about how often we either grumbled, complained, argued when we shouldn't have argued, or had the desire to. Because Scripture talks about evil desires as well. How often? How often, husband, did you really want to let your wife have it verbally? How, how often, wife, did you really want to complain about your husband to one of your sisters? Think about this. It's not just what we do, it's also what we think. What are our desires? That's why, that's why I have a problem with, with, with the, these writings that say, well, it's okay to have same-sex attraction as long as you don't act upon it. No, Scripture says you're supposed to do something with your evil desires. Not just, not just have them and it's okay. Change the way we think. Change what our desires are. We can say, well, Romans 18 talks about, well, it's mortifying the deeds of the flesh. Well, the deeds of the flesh have their root in our heart, in our desires, in our wants, what we think about. So it's not merely verbally grumbling or verbally disputing. It's about thinking about whether we really want to. If you apply Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount about adultery, if you desire, you look with lust, you've already committed adultery. If you look with the desire to argue, you look with the desire to complain, to grumble. You have already grumbled and complained. And when, when you look at grumbling, what, what do we complain about? We complain about the weather. I mean, people in San Antonio are even complaining about it being hot. Well, you know, it's not news that it's hot here. <laughs> but why was it hot this summer? Why was it, let's say, unusually hot by man's standards. It was unusually hot because God determined it was going to be unusually hot. When we complain about it being unusually hot, against whom are we ultimately complaining? The divine weatherman. You may say, well, that's insignificant. No, it's not. I was teaching the kids about God being sovereign in the back there earlier. We say we believe God's sovereign, except when we don't. <laughs> except when we want to complain. Okay, this is happening at work. So-and-so got the raise, I didn't. That's not fair. Well, you didn't get the raise because God didn't want you to get the raise. Because maybe you're not ready to get the raise. There's something to be taught to you by not getting the raise. Well, how come I have to work overtime and they don't? Because God's determined that you have to work overtime. <laughs> Why is my spouse not yet saved? Well, because right now, today, God has not determined to save your spouse. What do you do about it? Do you throw your hands up and say, well, that's it? No. God moved because Hezekiah prayed, remember? Is God sovereign? Yes. But we don't rely upon a fatalistic view of God's sovereignty and ignore the commands about the things we're supposed to do. At the same time God is sovereign, we are responsible. 
for obedience. God's going to save the elect. Yeah, He's going to save the elect. How? By us doing something. By us evangelizing. By us praying. You want your children to grow up to be godly children. What do you do? You train them up to be godly children. Well, I don't know if they're going to be Christians. Well, you're right, you don't. What does Scripture say? Train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Now, I know that some children end up being Christians who were not raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but we live in light of the commands of the Lord, don't we? We don't know God's eternal decree that He has not revealed to us on certain matters. There are secret things that are still the secret things of Deuteronomy 29.29, but what are we supposed to do with the revealed things of Deuteronomy 29.29? Teach them to our children. Teach them to adults as well. So are we grumblers? Are we complainers? Are we whiners? You know what a whiner is like. A whiner probably bugs you more than a complainer. <laughs> you, you may have a child who is somewhat of a complainer, but if you've got a child who is a whiner, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but they're both wrong. We're not given license to whine or complain. Remember, Paul says he learned to be content in all things. Plenty, none. Do you think Paul was a grumbler or a disputer? No, he wasn't. Do you think Jesus? Jesus, was he a grumbler or a disputer? No. You think Jesus was about trusting his Father's will and doing his Father's will? Yes, he was. And if we're supposed to imitate Christ, we can trust what the Father's will is too that we have for us here. We don't know how things are going to turn out. How many, how many times, I'll pick on John here, how many times has John stood up here and said, we don't know what we're doing? <laughs> Is he right? Well, he's right in one sense, and maybe he's a little off in another sense. But, but what, is, what is he talking about? There's much that we do in our Christian lives which is lived by the seat of our pants. You have to think of things on the fly, don't you? Okay. Does John know what's going to happen in the work in the next two weeks over there? No. How do you respond to it? Well, maybe you don't have okay, a verse that you can go and say, aha, there's the answer to it. But what does John do? John's got to just trust God. He's got to trust the Lord that based upon what John and Judy know and what they know over there, that if they're obedient to it, God will bless the obedience. What else can He do? We don't know. We don't know what God has in store. You don't know what God has in store. God just wants you to be obedient and therefore do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's how an example, clearly not a comprehensive list, but that's how, that's how we shine as lights in the world. Can people at work, if you never hand them a tract, if you never say anything verbally about the fact that you're a Christian, 
If they watch you for six months, are they going to be able to tell that you're a Christian? They should be able to. At a minimum, they ought to be able to see that there's something different about you. They may not know that it's Christianity manifesting itself. Now, I'm not saying don't ever hand somebody a tract or don't say anything about Christianity. Don't tell anybody the Gospel. But I'm just saying, if you didn't, could they tell? At home, husband, if you never told your kids, could your kids or your wife, if she's lost, say, there's something different about you, dad. Are you different than the other dads that the kids know? Mom, are you different than the other kids, other moms that the kids know? Because shouldn't our fruit manifest in some way where people can tell there's something different about us? As, as Scripture would say, a peculiar people. There's something different. Because we don't do those foolish things that the world does. We don't do that coarse joking that Paul talks about elsewhere. We don't engage in, in those things that, that the world does and that you might have pressure to do at work. Okay, we don't do. If you're single, you don't do certain things that single people do who are of the world. Can people tell that you as a single woman, a single man, you're different than the world in the way that you live? Whether it's at home, work, family, wherever. That's shining as a light. In addition to telling people truth, yes. Handing out truth, yes. But what about living out truth? Being like Jesus. Loving the people Jesus loved. Who did Jesus love? Jesus loved them all. You say, i got to deal with difficult people. Okay, Jesus had them too. I give you Peter. He also had the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Did He stop loving them? No. Did He say some rather truthful things to them that they didn't particularly care for? Yes. But you know what? If He didn't say them, how are they going to hear the truth? It's like, it's like your mom. Your mom's lost. Your mom says, I've heard it enough. Well, maybe she has. But if she's heard it enough, she knows. She's responsible. Jesus told people. Jesus lived. Who, who did Jesus eat with? Jesus didn't eat always with the elite, did He? Jesus ate with people. Jesus ate with people who were unpopular. Eating with tax collectors. You know, fill in the blank with your unpopular group of people today. Are Christians supposed to be eating with them? Yeah, they are. Do we? Or do we wash our hands and say, well, no, I might get dirty. Well, Jesus wasn't afraid of getting dirty. No, he even touched the leper. Now, I know there's, there's, a, there's a divine element here because it's not that when He touches the leper, He gets dirty. It's that when He touches the leper, the leper gets clean. 
But who are the lepers that you run into that need to be touched by truth? That need to be touched by a blameless and innocent life? That need to be touched by somebody who's without blemish in the midst of the crooked and twisted generation among whom they are part of because they're living in the darkness and loving the darkness. Paul tells these people, as you live a blameless life, as you live an innocent life, as you are shining as light in the world, he also wants you to hold fast to something. And what does he want you to hold fast to? The Word of life. The Word of life. He wants you to hold fast to the Gospel. What else do you have? What's the Gospel? Jesus is the Gospel. What else do you have? In the midst of trial, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of familial separation, people will tell you that they don't like that word of life. They will tell you that you are judgmental, you're unloving, you're this, that, the other thing, you're phobic this and phobic that. Jesus held fast to the word of life. Did it cost him? Ultimately, yeah, it cost him his life. Now, we know resurrection and all that, yes. But did the apostles hold fast to the word of life? Yes. Did the apostles live a pain-free, easy street life as they held fast to the word of life? No. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Hard does not mean impossible. You can hold fast to the Word of life. You can hold fast to the truth you know. When somebody says to you, you guys, you, you, you guys are unloving because you believe certain people are going to hell. Well, we believe it because God has said it. And we've got the remedy for people going to hell. And then when you give people the remedy, they don't like the remedy. Because especially, especially in America, they want 83 options for everything. Walk down the chip aisle at HEB. Okay, how many options are there for chips at HEB? Uh, there's more than 83, right? But Americans want, they want the buffet. They don't like the fact that God has provided one way of salvation, which is one more than they all deserve. And it's simple. Repent and believe. There are no other hoops that people have to jump through. Why, why, you, you, you can sit there and wonder, well, why is that simplicity so hard for them to get? It's because their understanding is darkened. Until God opens their eyes, they are Romans 8, 7, and 8 people, and they don't obey because they can't obey. Do you just keep, still keep telling them? Yes, because somebody kept telling us. And we just keep on telling them. But this, let, let, let me close with this. This shining is lights in the world. The light there really is talking about a star. It's talking about a, a, a heavenly body, a, a luminary as, as it were. Not just a torch, not just a, a match, not just a little flashlight. The imagery here is, is as of a star. Does a star ever stop shining? No, the heavenly bodies, they don't stop 
They don't take the day off. They don't clock out at 5 o'clock. When are we supposed to shine as lights? Always. We're always supposed to be radiating the light of Christ. Radiating truth. Radiating love. Again, you do that enough and people are going to go, what is it about you? Then you've got your open door. But always shine. Even when it's hard. Even when you're tired. Even when you're getting, you're getting pushback here and there. Paul wanted Philippians to always shine. Jesus always shined. Aren't we supposed to be imitators of Christ? Yes. And again, is it challenging at times? Yes. But challenging does not mean impossible. He's equipped us by His Spirit to obey. He's equipped us to be light. And you may think that what you're doing is insignificant and it's not light. You may be the mom who's who's making the, the breakfast for the kids for the thousandth day. What significance is there in that? Plenty of significance because you're being light to your children. Keep in mind that passage from 1 Corinthians 7. You've got a, you've got a household. One of the adults gets saved. What happens to the rest of the household according to 1 Corinthians 7? They are made holy. Now, does that mean that they're saved? No, that word holy means that, that the rest of that household is now set apart in the way they were not before. Why? Because they've got a luminary, a light in the house now where they didn't have that before. Don't think that making your kids breakfast for the thousandth time is insignificant. Don't think that going to, to your work and pounding the same nails for the tenth year is insignificant. I had to realize that. For 14 years, I answered the phone at a doctor's office. You know how many times during the day a phone rings at a doctor's office? hundred times a day. You know how many times I said, Dr. Kane's office, how can I help you over 14 years? But there's a significance in how you do that and our attitudes because people are watching. I've got patients in front of me at the counter watching me do this as, I, as I've got the phone ringing and I've got nurses and doctors over here and I've got a patient who's upset about this or that. What is my attitude when I say, Dr. Kane's office, how can I help you? That's not insignificant. It's not. And we've all got these things that we do a million times in our lives and we think that nobody sees them or very few people see them or it's not really as important as this. It's, it's not as important as this holy deed we see. Well, God has you here for a reason. God has you making breakfast for your kids for a reason. He had me answering the phone for 14 years for a reason. He has you pounding the same nails for 10 years for a reason. Because you've got a thousand opportunities still to be light. I've got 14 years of opportunities to be light. I've got 10, you've got 10 years of opportunities to still be light. Even when it's repetitive. Even when it seems insignificant. Remember, your Bible says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything, even making breakfast, pounding nails, answering the phone, 
shining as lights in the world. Because when I sat behind that counter for 14 years, I was in the world. I was in this fallen realm. You're out there pounding nails. You're in the world. Keep on shining. Keep on shining, brethren. Let's pray. Father, Father, we need help to shine as lights in the world. Father, we need help. We need help in being blameless and innocent children without blemish in the midst of this crooked, twisted generation. But we know, Father, that verse 13 there says that You provide the help because it is You who works in us both to will and to work for Your good pleasure as we have the charge to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Father, we have a wonderful opportunity to be light. Let us not look at being light as a burden, but let us look at being a, a light as being a blessing. Father, help us. And Father, I, I, I want to I add a prayer request one of the brethren brought to me. I want to pray for, for one of Jeff Durbin's adopted children in the hospital and not doing well. Father, Father, you are, you are the great physician. You are the great healer. Father, we ask You to intervene in that child's life. Manifest Yourself. Show Yourself to be real so that Jeff and his wife can bear witness to the power of God to the medical people in that hospital. And Father, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.